0: Welcome back. Our second author's showcase is presented by a major conference partner, Routledge, and it's my pleasure to welcome directors of the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience, Dr Lucy Hone and Dr Denise Book, How to Get Started When Taking a Whole School Approach to Wellbeing, Reviewing the Best of Science and Practice, and undoubtedly, our speakers yesterday and today continued to highlight the importance of focusing on well-being, noting it's easier and faster to make up for a loss of learning than a loss of well-being. So, Lucy and Denise, we're really looking to forward to not only hearing from you, but learning from you as well. So, over to you. Hello and welcome to this session on taking a whole school approach to well-being and how to get started. We are delighted to have this opportunity to share with you um, a decade of practice and um, the science that's been evolving over that period in education. First of all, I want to say um, what a special treat it is to get to be here with you, because I know as educational leaders, you have a deep commitment to well-being mm. for your students and for your staff. And and I guess one of the things we really care about is um, also the, the well-being of educational leaders, because we know that um, it's something that is quite an isolated role sometimes. And so it's such a, a marvellous opportunity for you all to be gathered in a group together uh, with the people who really know your role and your challenges. So um, I'm delighted that you have this time and we hope that we can add to it. Thank you. So I'm Denise Quinlan. (laughs) I'm a co-founder of the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience and this is Dr Lucy Hone, my co-founder. We're also co-authors of the
1: Educator's Guide to Whole School Wellbeing. And so we're both here from New Zealand. Great to be with you today. We're not often side by side (laughs) like this, so um, so that's particularly nice for us to work together. Um, At the Institute we have people all over New Zealand and we're here today to tell you a little bit about our work. So we've both been working with schools um, all over the world for the last decade, helping them as they go about putting well-being at the core of their offering. And what has slowly emerged to us, particularly in the last few years, um, as which was actually the kind of genesis for writing this book, was that however different the schools are that we work with, and whether they're primary or whether they're secondary or where they are in the world, it is, of course, firstly, really important to notice those differences and make sure that your well-being plans are absolutely embedded in the culture and the context of that school. But what has become apparent is that even amongst all these really different schools, there are standardised processes that produce these customised, contextualised well-being plans. So... We wrote our book. We took some time out from our work last year to write this book. Not much, it has to be said. <laughs> um, so, and it was actually the time that we went to the World Congress of Positive Psychology over in Melbourne. Um, that was a really good way of kind of um, accelerating our research. So, we spent a lot of time there talking to all of our colleagues globally about this process of how do you get started if you're going to care about well-being in your school. Um, And this is because this is what happens to us. You know, we work, one of the great things about being in New Zealand is we work with so many different schools. But... Schools kept coming to us saying, yep, we get it. We absolutely want to bring wellbeing science into our school, but we just don't know how to start. So this book is about getting started, about those standardised processes that we have seen emerge to really help educators to kind of, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff, to give them a roadmap to get them started. So over to you, Denise.
0: So, you know, I think before we get into what we're doing, let's talk a little bit about um, some of the myths around well-being change. And one of the challenges that we have seen in schools is where people believe that they can improve well-being with a rapid rollout. We're going to roll out a program it'll be done mm-hmm. by the end of next year. It will be we, we've bought it. We've seen a great one in America at a conference. We've mm-hmm. brought it back. We're going to do it. We've got a manual and it will be easy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. sorry. No, the truth is that well-being change is actually long-term culture change. If we're going to do this work, it, you're probably going to see um, an impact over a whole cohort. Mm-hmm. I remember Charlie um, Scudamore from Geelong Grammar saying, we've been doing this for 10 years. And I would say with deep commitment on a big budget. Yeah. And he says, some mornings I still feel we're scratching the surface. Mm-hmm. It's a long-term commitment to actually be able to embed the work. Um, you have to get it right for your context. What works in one school and how you begin will be very different. You know, we've worked in schools where they've said, look, we've got a real bullying issue. Let's, mm-hmm. So it's like, well, well, let's start there. How do we talk about relational well-being? How, we, how do we talk about respect and relationships? Mm-hmm. As opposed to another school where they say, oh, my word, anxiety is is mm-hmm. the, the big driver. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to have a school that supports wellbeing for everyone. It's got to be responsive to the different cultures who are there. It's got to fit with, with everybody's sense of what well-being means for them, which is a great starting discussion. And when I say a great starting discussion, I mean, it's a year talking about what yeah. is well-being
1: to you. Because um, we both feel quite strongly, actually, that this is the part of well-being science and positive education, You know that bringing well-being mm. to educational context that hasn't been done well. Absolutely. Um, whereas one of the great beauties about being in New Zealand is that we are a bicultural nation by law. Mm. So we work in partnership Mm. with participation and to protect our bicultural status always. So we've also learned a lot about that, haven't we? Yeah, and and you learn a lot by asking
0: and by Mm. going alongside and saying what models fit and what does this mean to you? Another another factor that is so important is, is your work inclusive? Mm. Have you heard from everybody? Whose voices aren't in the room? Mm. And one of the things that's become um, kind of clear to us over the last couple of years is look we're doing we're doing better about putting cultural responsiveness on the table but what about including um, students and teachers with disability where mm-hmm. did their voices mm-hmm. get heard how with people with special needs of any kind mm-hmm. how are we looking after their well-being
1: yeah. Which is why this work isn't easy, and why it takes time. You know, this is complex. Yeah, and you're never going to do this work by getting an expert to come
0: in and do it to you. Mm -hmm. It's got to be done by you, with you, for Mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. And that's about capability building, which means rather than you're not bringing in an expert, you get for someone to come in and work alongside and help. Mm -hmm. How can we develop the capability? of you know of the people in the school and, and our work really is about becoming redundant from your school we can come in and work yeah. alongside and help yeah um so one of the ways that we think about this work is our wheel of wellbeing change and I guess the most important part of this for me is that it's an iterative, cyclical process that you can begin thinking about where are our opportunities, um, what's the readiness, and the, the right-hand side is all about the planning and the preparation. How are you going to gather information from everyone in your school? Mm-hmm. Um, how are we going to build ownership? And for us, crucially, mm-hmm. that's about building ownership is different from getting buy-in. Yeah. One is, I
1: want you to buy into my plan. Mm-hmm. The
0: other is, how can we...
1: It's a really good example of how our own work has been reiterated and And developed over the last few years. So we used to talk about securing buy-in, which is even worse, isn't it? So this is basically Mm. my idea, my plan, and how I'm going to convince you to take it seriously. Whereas building ownership is such a completely Mm. different um, matter. We're looking for consensus. We're looking for debate. We're looking to co-create and collaborate And when we do that, we're much more likely to come up with a
0: plan that reflects the priorities of all of the people Mm. in our school Mm. and their needs. Mm. And when we do that, again, we're more likely to get ownership. So then moving around to the left-hand side of this wheel, we really are talking more about how we're gonna implement. We're gonna need to build a team nobody does this on their own Hmm. and whether that's you as an educational leader or assigning responsibility to a single member of staff
1: our our thing is please don't (laughs) um because we've seen the catastrophic consequences of that where people have been asked to go away into a darkened room and come up with some write the well-being plan yeah Hmm. write the well-being curriculum and guess what everybody else and your staff turns around and goes, ah.
0: yeah. So you're now then you're dealing with a whole other problems of resistance, etc., you know? etc. Cetera, et cetera. So um, if you're going to carry this forward, build a well-being team that is as reflective as possible of your community, um, with with that reflects the interests and needs as well. Mm-hmm. Your team is much more likely to um, have dynamism and a respect around the school mm. um, that enables it to do the work
1: and be representative of yeah. the entire school community which is what we're in. Yeah.
0: one of the best teams i have ever helped um, come together was 18 people and we had a two-day well-being inquiry into what they really care about and want to do mm. it crunched down to six main focuses and project areas which those people were passionate to lead Um, It also means you can have a quorum Mm-hmm. quite easily with you know people get busy so moving around this wheel we're then into the sandpit and how you frame that up as a sandpit for trial and error is really important yeah. because otherwise we've seen schools reach a position where um it's like well we tried that and it didn't work so well-being doesn't work in our school mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. those approaches don't work mm-hmm. this is trial and error and we also lucy is really strong on how do we support and acknowledge the brave people who have put themselves in the sandpit are willing to try something new.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going further around to the left of the wheel here. This mm-hmm. celebrates success and share mm-hmm. widely. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. So for those of you as education leaders who have watched that free carriage train video Mm -hmm. on youtube or maybe the um the first follower video you'll know what i mean here where i say that when you bring whole system change to a school of course you're going to have your early adopters you've got those people who want to jump on board those are all of you no doubt lots of you who are online today and then you have the absolute naysayers the rolling their eyes in the back of the staff room people um and We, You know, you've got to listen to those people. But also what we have learned is that you don't want to waste all of your energy really trying to just cater for the laggards, the people who don't want a bar of it, because that's exhausting. You can't spend your whole time with all the kind of well-being, you know, champions, the people who are really into it. But actually what you need to do is focus your attention on the people in the middle, you know, that kind of 60 70% of your staff room who... Actually, some of them are willing to give it a go Mm -hmm. and that is your moment to strike this is your moment to celebrate and share their success or their error What you know widely share success and failure yeah Yeah. so so I do feel really strongly that part of um, building an effective wellbeing strategy is to put some infrastructure in place so that you can have you have these mechanisms for sharing so whether that's your for instance your Friday morning staff room where you get people Mm -hmm. just to pair share what they've tried but the persuasion and the motivation of seeing one of your colleagues dare try something out is really, really compelling, I think. So um, Mm -hmm. important to do that. We've also missed the step but there, but that's okay. <laughs> so,
0: you know, coming back there, there is monitoring and reporting. If you want to know that you're tracking and you're and you're making progress, mm. you need to do some baseline assessment, mm. and then you need to have some way of tracking. That I guess that what we're, what we're really big on is that that doesn't have to be hugely onerous. It doesn't have to be a 180-item survey. Mm. You can do some baseline <laughs> work, but then. Um, Two things. One is uh, gather rich data. Teachers are great at observation and inquiry. Yeah. Um, and then and then on the other side, you know, so coming, staying here, on the easy, lovely, qualitative side, um,
1: we also do do really great work with three post-its. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, um, you know? I wish, I like, I like, I wish, I wonder. It's a yeah. great way of yeah. listing, you know, what's working here and what do people want to see more of.
0: Yeah, lovely. But also... Um, You know, you already have a lot of really important information in your schools. How can you make use Mm of um, sick days, um, stand downs,
1: problem behaviour. Assessments, churn, all of those yeah. things too. So just you, I think it is very important yeah. to measure widely, yeah. not just to think about a single wellbeing survey, but to actually think mm. of harnessing all of your school's capacity.
0: And lastly, if you are really far down the track and you're here at your five thinking, well, I've done this. Huh? Yes. And up at the top there, reflect, review and reiterate. So where is there time how do you build in the time to reflect on mm. where are we at and how are we going? Mm-hmm. And then out of that, you're back around the wheel again, identifying new opportunities. Yeah. Even if you are in your 10th year. There will yeah. be opportunities that emerge now mm-hmm. that were not possible before. So yeah. let's come on and talk a little bit more about if you are at the start.
1: Where yeah. you go? So with our five minutes mm-hmm. left, we thought we would talk to you about what we think is a realistic plan for that first year if you are just getting started. And we're gonna go through these one by one here. So the first is to build staff and community, really important. Not just staff mm. knowledge and capacity. Um, so we're going to do that. And really, the wisdom here is that you do start with your mm. staff. This came from Geelong Grammar School back a long time ago. Yeah, working with Karen.
0: It was Karen Ryvich. So you were doing Hain, this work. Yeah, uh, who originally
1: said it. And Geelong were wise
0: enough to pick it up and realize this is actually a philosophy we want to embrace that we. Our teachers need to have been given the time to learn it Mm. so they can Mm. live it, so students can see them living it. Then we can worry about teaching it, and embedding it in our practice
1: yeah really important mm. that mantra of learning it first living it teaching it embedding it mm. but we've got an additional layer to this mm. and when we were writing the book last year we were talking to Rihanna McGee who's at Geelong as well mm. she's director of positive education and what I loved was one of the things she said to us was you've got to make sure that you are delivering your professional development and you're increasing people's capability in lots of different ways yep. at lots of different times and also in lots of not just modalities in terms of podcast and professional development but also you know some little short snippets Mm -hmm. and some people might want to go and do a two-day course so some of the books we recommend are here so for so some people we work with schools who do a book club for instance, and they take another chapter each week and mm. they all discuss it in the staff room Here we've got Denise's podcast that she's are you in your third or fourth I think season it was up season four <laughs> Yeah so uh, we all love podcasts now I always laugh about how many people are walking on the beach with their little white ears and mm. in the morning now so podcast is mm. a great way to learn um, we here we are Muppet and Muppet yeah <laughs> um, here we are this is uh, still from our bite-sized learning, which we developed for so that the well-being lead could carry on the professional learning and development in their own staff room. So what they get is a short, less than 10 minute video from mm-hmm. us explaining one concept of mm-hmm. well-being and education. And here's some of the topics here. But they also get, is really critical, um, an overview of how to run that session and the teachers' mm-hmm. session so that they can run that in their mm-hmm. staff room. So Denise, um, do you want to quickly rattle us through yeah. how we gather information? Look, I'll just say, we will share these slides with you just in
0: case you think, yeah, um, in terms of gathering information, this is about starting at the top left, respecting the past and learning from it. Mm-hmm. What's been your journey that has, what have you tried so far? What have been the events that have made well-being a priority for you? Um, what are the big influences in your school? Um then how do you get to get some baseline information? Maybe a benchmark survey, whatever works for you. Um, but then let's also do the rich stuff. Let's take stock of what's working already. Mm. What's the good work that's already happening mm. in your school? And we've got some lovely ways of doing that. And, you know, there's stuff that looks like an ugly spreadsheet. And I'm like, could you print that out and put it on the staff room wall? Because people, people love having reflected back to them that they've been seen and heard yeah.
1: Mm. Which is why this kind of mm. gathering information is so important mm. for building your team and mm. building ownership because actually it is. this is the key moment to spot Who's been doing what in your school and who's got a passion for all of these different aspects, whether it's coaching or problem based learning.
0: Or the fact that actually the kids who would otherwise end up in psych emergency who are super anxious go into the staff
1: room and into the art room and sit at the back and know it's a Mm -hmm. safe,
0: quiet space.
1: So all of that is yeah. more further unpacked in our book. And then
0: wellbeing, well-being inquiry is the last tool on that, which is another another tool we use. But one of the other things that's important is choosing a well-being framework. What model will you use that's going to sit well with the language and culture of your school? Mm. And rather mm. than and some people will take a year to do this, and some people will say, we like five ways to well-being, that's what we're doing. Mm. But let's come on to the next slide and just see why. Why would you bother having a wellbeing model? And for me, really, this is, I've crunched it down to four reasons. There's the the inform and educate, motivate and evaluate. You Mm. can use it to remind people of what you're doing, to motivate them, but you can also come back to it. You can use it as an evaluation. You can also use it to prioritize where you allocate um, resources and time Mm. um, and really use it as your
1: stake in the ground. And then Mm -hmm. the final two, which we've already really covered this, is about building an effective team, really noticing broadly who might be Mm -hmm. interested in joining this work with you. And when you've done all that, you've gathered information, you've noticed the people, you've got a wellbeing framework or model, you've done some, um, you've expanded your capability, you're just going to choose your wellbeing-focused project Mm -hmm. and keep it really simple for the year so you can look at this in your own time as we'll share the slides so just wrapping up we're going to build staff and community knowledge and capacity about wellbeing you're going to gather information choose a wellbeing framework identify your team and then one pretty limited wellbeing focused project which could be choosing your wellbeing framework or building your team. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's great to spend time with you today. Do go and check out our book. All of these things that we've just really rattled through, (laughs) sped through are um, better explained there. And thanks so much for allowing us to be part of your conference. And please keep breathing and looking after your own well-being. Yeah. Thank you. It's a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) All right. Kiara, goodbye from us.